This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. All right, good evening. Um, Philip, can you hear me all right over there? Sound okay? Okay. And then way over in that corner, can y'all hear? Okay. All right. Um, As Austin said, I'd love to get a lot of emails with prayer requests. So um, just scan that little box um, that says uh, newcomer or just email me at ben at salempressws.org and send me your prayer requests and we will pray for you. It's uh, remarkable that... On this very evening, this would be our passage. Uh, That was not planned by any human. It was planned by God. It's extremely providential that just before the election, we would hear this passage. And this is the passage that has most shaped Christian thinking about how the church and the state interact than any other passage in the Bible. It was very important to the founding of America Um, and it has for millennia informed the way the church has thought about politics. So this is the passage that God has given us tonight, and it's obviously very relevant. And the question is, what is the relationship between the church and the state? It's a very important question to keep in mind when you vote, if you haven't voted yet. What is the relationship between the church and the state? Not just in America, but throughout all time for 2,000 years and all around the world. And I want to say two things about this. Um, Number one is the church is always in exile. Uh, The church is always in exile. Um, The church is never meant to rule the state. So the theocracy, the idea of a theocracy is not a New Testament idea. Uh, Number two is that in exile... The church's role is to still be involved with the state, to bless the state. Even the Roman Empire or the Babylonian Empire, certainly we can bless the American Empire. So we're supposed to be in exile and we're supposed to bless the state, those two things. First of all, in verse 2, and I'm reading here from the New Living Translation. So if you have... uh, an ESV or an NIV or some other, the King James Version or whatever. I'm reading from the most easily understandable translation. It's called the New Living Translation. And Paul says in verse 2, anyone who rebels against the authority of the state is rebelling against what God has instituted. Think about that. Anyone who is rebelling against the authority of the state is rebelling against what God has instituted. This assumes the church is not running the state. Uh, This is not Calvin's Geneva, if you know about that, where the church essentially took over the role of running the state. This is not Israel in the Old Testament, where the church was essentially running the state. Uh, The church here is so marginalized by the Roman Empire that she is actually tempted to rebel. And so Paul has to say anyone who rebels 
is rebelling against God. So obviously the church is not running the state. The church is being persecuted by the state. So the emperor is Nero. You might know about Nero. Not a good man. Um, You might not like Donald Trump. I can assure you that Emperor Nero is a lot worse as a ruler. And so Christians are being marginalized. They were losing their jobs because they would not pledge an oath to Caesar as God. Um, They were no longer really allowed to be in the military because they wouldn't make that oath. They were probably being um, kept from the Roman baths and the Colosseums and all the, the sporting events of Rome. Um, they were not allowed to be in the Senate anymore. Um, so that's the situation of the Roman Christians here. Paul is writing right into the heart of the, the capital of Rome. And the church in most places in the world today and throughout church history has been in exile, just like this church in Rome was in exile. They were not at home. Our home is a different world. Our home is in heaven. We are in exile here. And so, uh, although it is becoming more and more true of the church here in the West, especially in Europe, um, we currently don't really feel like we're in exile. And uh, this happened because of two things. In the year uh, 313, the Emperor Constantine, the Roman Emperor Constantine, became a Christian, uh, was converted, and he ended the official persecution of the church. And so, now Christianity was allowed to be practiced with no penalty, which was great. I think that's the way it should be. However, later that century in 380 AD, so 50 years or so later, uh, the emperor Theodosius became the emperor and he decided to establish Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. And from that point on, Christendom, this thing called Christendom started Um, where essentially uh, the church began to be running the state or in cahoots with the state. And from that idea, you get all sorts of ideas of coercion. You get things like the Crusades. You get witch trials. You get the Inquisition. You get conquistadors. And this whole litany of terrible things that happened because the church went from being in exile to being the authority. That was a bad thing. And it's still having repercussions today. But this passage assumes that the church is not an authority. Everyone must submit, verse 1, to governing authorities. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Now, right now, I think this is very hard for us um, simply because of what's going on in in politics. But I say uh, to you that um, if you're worried about, you know, Trump or Biden winning on Tuesday, and I know that some of you worry about one and some of you worry about the other, I can assure you that neither of them um, will light you on fire as the Emperor Nero did to Christians in his garden parties. He would use them as torches and light them on fire. That's not going to happen. And so if the Roman Christians could submit to Nero, we can submit to whoever wins the election. I think we can do that. Having said that, I would say the church in America is in for a serious Uh, submission challenge, if you will, as Christians begin to, I believe, lose social status, not in Winston-Salem yet, but maybe if you live out in California, Silicon Valley, Seattle, Boston, D.C., Manhattan, I think that it starts mostly in academia, 
in the universities, kind of trickles down to big tech. I think it's going to come even to um, other industries, even blue collar at some point, but it's coming. There's no doubt about it. It's on the horizon. Not persecution, but marginalization. And we are still called to submit in that context. We're not called to virtue signal, like look how much we're suffering. Look at us evangelical suffering. No, we're not called to that. We're not called to complaint. You know, they're taking away all our freedoms. That's not our call. Our call is to submit. And not only submit, but this is now point two, but to bless, to bless the state, to positively engage in the very state that will be marginalizing us, to positively engage with the state uh, that sees us perhaps as the enemies, as not good for the state. Um, that's, what, that's what Daniel did. If you know the story of Daniel, when he was a ruler of Babylon, although Babylon had terribly persecuted Israel, Daniel still worked for the Babylonian government and helped the government to flourish. So, number one, the church is in exile. Number two, in exile, we are called to bless the state. And that's exactly what Jeremiah told the exiles in Babylon. This is a famous passage of Jeremiah 29, the prophet Jeremiah writing to the Jews in exile, who again are being persecuted very badly. Jeremiah says, build houses, plant gardens, multiply, and seek the welfare of the city, and pray to the Lord on her behalf. For in seeking her welfare, you will find your welfare. And that's what we're called to do to Winston-Salem to seek the welfare of our city in any way we can. Notice uh, verse 4, Paul says, the authorities are God's servants, sent for your good, not for your bad. So be grateful for government workers who make this city go. Be grateful for garbage collectors. Um, be grateful for firefighters and postal workers. Don't take them for granted. Verse 7 says, give respect and honor them. That is the posture of the Christian to the government worker, is respect and honor. And so you should ask yourself, have you ever thanked any person who works for the government? Have you ever gone to the DMV and thanked the person who wasn't helping you, you know, that should have been helping you? Have you ever been uh, to any government official and thanked them for serving you? That's what Paul is saying to the Roman government. So even like a note or a, a gift of money or a word of praise or encouragement is what Paul would encourage from us. Not complaint, but gratitude. And if you think about what uh, Joseph did with Egypt, where again, in exile, uh, Joseph, who was an Israelite, used all of his wisdom to bless the empire of Egypt by storing grain for them and making sure they didn't go into famine. I saw a beautiful example of blessing the state when I worked at Redeemer, which is another church in town. So when I worked at Redeemer, we did this thing where, I wish we had done it more than once, we only did it one time, where we, we held this gathering for all the public school teachers in the county. And we had, I think, 200 plus show up, maybe 250, so it was amazing. And we ordered um, hundreds of Chick-fil-A meals. We had them, we served them Chick-fil-A in the cafeteria. 
Um, we hired a, a guy named Gary Chapman who wrote the five love languages, pastor in town. He came and he talked about how you can use the love languages of the teacher. And we also celebrated teachers. We asked all first-year teachers to stand. Everybody applauded. And we asked all teachers who taught five years to stand. We applauded even more. And then we asked teachers who have taught for 25 years to stand. And just the whole place went crazy. And there were people crying. And uh, there were so many people who thanked us afterwards, public school teachers. But... You know, you don't have to go that far. You can just pay your taxes. That would be, be a good start. Just pay your taxes. Paul says in verse 6, pay your taxes. Government workers need to be paid. They're serving God. Pay your taxes. That's a command from the Bible. Again, this is Rome. And when you pay your taxes, how often do you ever think about the government workers that you're paying? Paul says that. Pay your taxes. Government workers need to be paid. They're serving God. Give to everyone what you owe them, he says. And that's the teachers. I mean, when you pay your taxes, think about a teacher. Think about someone who works on a road crew. You know, keep their faces before your mind. Or bus drivers. Or policemen. Or police women. Or judges. Or military. Those are not the bad guys. Um, verse 4 says, They are God's servant sent for punishing those who do wrong. Now, our justice system is not perfect. It has problems. There's corruption there. I believe there's systemic corruption there. But it is better than anarchy, I can assure you. Now, I haven't been to countries that live in anarchy, but I did look up the top 10 countries struggling with lawlessness. And uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Colombia, Venezuela, Somalia, if you went to these places, you would see why a justice system, however bad it is, is very needed. And remember that these are Roman centurions that are merciless centurions that the Roman Christians are called to subject themselves to, to willingly put themselves under the authority of. So we are called to respect and to honor our justice system. And one really good way to do that is to protest the justice system. It's a very important part of honoring and respecting the system is sometimes the best way to bless the state is to protest its injustices, which we as people who live in a democracy are able to do. Peter, the apostle Peter, refused to be silent when the authorities told him, you've got to stay silent. Acts 5.29, he answered, we must obey God rather than the state. Sometimes you do have to disobey the state. In Exodus 1.17, the Hebrew midwives, these are midwives that are giving birth to Hebrew children, they were told that they had to participate in the state's oppression of the Jewish people, and they refused. They didn't do it. It says the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. And then you've got Rahab, who hid innocent people in her home to protect them from the state. And so you might know the story of Corey Ten Boom in the book, The Hiding Place, where she, she hid Jewish fugitives in her home and told the Nazis who came to her door that there was no one that she was hiding. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes the best way to bless the state is to protest what's going on in the state. So the question I have as I close here, is, um, is how are you adding value 
to the United States of America. Uh, the word bless means uh, to add value to. How are you adding value to Winston-Salem or the state of North Carolina? And maybe just not stirring up strife could be a good start. You know, maybe not posting that inflammatory dig at someone, that slight against somebody. Maybe listening to someone from a different perspective would be a good way to bless the state and to reduce the tension, uh, to reduce the amount of polarization that is happening. Maybe to check yourself and to think, uh, you know, these people don't actually hate me just because I believe these things. We tend to think these other people were going to hate us if we say what we believe. Check that kind of paranoid thought in your head. Because the final point is the reason that we bless the state, even as exiles, is because Jesus blessed the state. And he reigns. You know, we don't need to be afraid on Tuesday because um, Jesus is not going to be voted out of office. And he's not worried about a peaceful transfer of power. He will continue to reign. And when Pilate arrested him, who was the king of the world, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor of that region, arrested Jesus. Jesus submitted to that arrest completely. He submitted to it. And then Pilate asked him, facetiously, mocking him. Pilate said, so are you saying that you are the king? You, with your hands tied behind your back, with a crown of thorns on your head, with uh, scars on your back? Are you saying that you, you know, puny man that you are, that you are the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, my kingdom is intergalactic. It's cosmic. He says in Matthew 26, 53, do you not think that I could call down 6,000 angels immediately and they would obey me? So with all of his power and all of his might, he gave those things up and submitted himself to Pilate and to being arrested and even to being crucified. And instead of using his power to crush Pilate and to crush the state, he died for Pilate. He died for Roman centurions. He died for the Roman centurion who was crucifying him, who was in charge of the crucifixion. He died for him. He blessed him. And that is the church's ultimate way of blessing the state. As we are in exile, we celebrate this supper here of the crucified king and we offer it to anyone, to everyone living in any state in the history of the world. So we're going to take this meal now as a peaceful act of protest to the, the oppression of the state, and every state is, is oppressive. And yet we say tonight, we, we bless you, we love you, we love our city, we love our state, we love our country. And um, this is the King of Kings here who is uh, giving his life for all people. And so everyone is welcome to come and participate in this supper. Uh, you're all called by Jesus to come and to eat and to drink of his body and blood. But we also want to always acknowledge, as Austin did earlier, that we know people are here tonight who don't believe in Jesus, who are not comfortable yet saying that Jesus is mine and I am his. So that's you. Feel no problem.